at the end of uh, uh, June, in our adult Sunday school class, we concluded the study of the book of Revelations. Uh, it was a challenging study, to say the least. And there's still a lot about this last book of the Bible that I don't understand, and I'm sure some of you don't either. Many sections of Revelations and many scenes that are pictured for us here, taken by themselves, can be very depressing. But as one writer suggested, that for the Christian, Revelation is a book of hope. Jesus is coming again, and he will set all things right. And one of the subjects of the book of Revelation that has remained with me from that study is the subject of worship. Note the use of the word in Revelations 5.14, and the elders fell down and worshipped, the scripture that Matt read earlier. I looked up worship in my concordance, and there are a lot of references to worship in scripture, believe me. Today we use the word worship rather loosely, as, uh, as we do with the word love, for instance. A girl worships her boyfriend, or probably the other way around. A guy worships his car, or probably his truck. And we say his worship, the mayor. Uh, sorry, Rick. So first of all, what, what is worship? Worship in the New Testament usually means an expression of praise or thanksgiving. It is the appropriate human response to the magnificent glory of God. When we approach God, we come to the only one who is worthy of our worship. And reverence, I would say, is the basis of our worship. Joshua chapter 5, Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped. And the wise men at the birth of Jesus, we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. In Psalm 95, 6, So come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. It brought back memories when I read some of these references to worship. It brought back memories of my childhood. My father, uh, when we were little kids, he would always have family bedtime devotions, family bedtime devotions before he sent us off to bed. So he would read, he would read a devotional, usually geared to us as kids so we could understand. And then he said, now let's pray. And we would always kneel to pray. If we're sitting on the chair, we would kneel by our chair. If we were at the couch, we would kneel at the couch. But we would kneel to pray. And that I had to think of that again now as I read these references to worship and people falling down, kneeling down in reverence to God. And it brought back those memories from many, many years ago and that impression that it made on me as a young boy. Worship. This kind of worship requires, I think, first of all, humility. It's not about me. The praise team sings that so often, and I thought maybe if we had a praise team this morning, they would have probably chosen that song. 
It's not about me. It's all about you, Jesus. And thanks, Vern, by the way, for the songs that you chose this morning. Very suitable songs. Thank you very much. <clears throat> it's not about me. Howard Hendricks, many years ago, said that worship is not something that pleases you. It is something that pleases God. Let me repeat. Worship is not something that pleases you. It is something that pleases God. Are you okay out there? I cringe a little when I hear someone ask, how can we make our worship service better? Now, don't get me wrong. If, if what we're striving for is to create an atmosphere or order of worship that encourage others and ourselves Encourage us to true worship. That's, that's legitimate. But if what I'm asking when I ask that question, how can I make the worship service better? If what I'm asking is to make the worship service more to my liking, then I'm off base. Some want more praise songs. Some want more hymns. I know I'm just treading on dangerous ground here, but let's examine ourselves, right? Some want more praise songs, some want more hymns, uh, some want something else. And most of us want to not go past 12 o'clock. What are we saying when we're asking for that? What are we saying? Let's examine our hearts here. Are we really convinced then that worship is something that pleases God and not ourselves? In case you're wondering why I'm saying this, you might think I was in a fighting mood when I wrote this, but no, I was not. Actually, Susie and I were camping, and I wrote down some notes that came to my, came to my head. I, w I was very relaxed. We were in beautiful surroundings. I was not in a fighting mood, no. But these thoughts came to me, and I examined my own heart about worship. Am I, do I want worship to be something that pleases me, or am I really convinced that I'm here to please God with my worship. I found a little tongue-in-cheek article by an unknown author I'd like to share with you. Comes from the not joyful newsletter, but joyful noise letter. So there's kind of a pun there right away. This is a, a no excuse. Uh, they had a no excuse worship Sunday. No excuse that to make it possible for everyone to attend the worship service without an excuse, okay? And this is how it goes. To make it possible for everyone to attend our worship service Sunday, we're going to have a special no-excuse Sunday. Cots will be placed in the foyer for those who say, Sunday is my only day to sleep in. There will be a special, special section, section excuse me, with lounge chairs for those who feel that our pews are too hard, Eye drops will be available for those with tired eyes from watching TV late Saturday night. We will have steel helmets for those who say the roof would cave in if I ever came to church. <laughs> Blankets will be furnished for those who think the church is too cold and fans for those who say it's too hot. Scorecards will be available for those who wish to list the hypocrites present. 
Relatives and friends will be in attendance for those who can't go to church and cook dinner, too. We will distribute stamp-out stewardship buttons for those who feel that the church is always asking for money. One section will be devoted to trees and grass for those who like to seek God in nature. Doctors and nurses will be in attendance for those who plan to be sick on Sunday. The church, the sanctuary will be decorated with both Christmas poinsettias and Easter lilies for those who never have seen the church without them. We will provide hearing aids for those who can't hear the preacher and cotton for those who can. So what is worship? Obviously not that. Secondly, I'd like to say that anything I do that brings pleasure to God is worship. Anything I do that brings pleasure to God is worship. Sometimes it can be totally involuntary, unplanned, unstructured. We structure our worship services, and that is fine. But there's a lot of worship that goes on, I hope, that is unstructured. Years ago, I read about a story about, about these, a story about these two guys, young fellows, that visited the Grand Canyon for the first time. And as they walked out onto the viewing platform overlooking the canyon, the one guy immediately began to explain, wow, would you look at that? Isn't that amazing? And on and on he went, just talking a blue streak. How could anyone witness all this and not believe in a creator? And his friend, the second guy, said not a word. He just stood there speechless, so overcome by the beauty and scope and awesomeness of the scene before him. Both of them were filled with wonder. And wonder is involuntary praise. My question is, who was worshiping correctly? The guy who couldn't shut up? Or the guy who couldn't say a word? The answer is both. We are all different. We may worship God imperfectly, but never insincerely. If it's insincere, it's not worship. There is no law that requires me or you to worship. Man makes the choice. He can worship or not worship as he wills. Yet I believe the inclination to worship is kind of built into our psyche. I think God has created us that way. The inclination to worship my maker was a part of my creation. Worship is tribute and obedience rendered to God. Worship is man's quest for God. It is the creature depending upon the creator. It is human weakness adoring divine perfection. It is the finite seeking the infinite. It is God's response to the holy. There's a wonder of sunset at evening, the wonder of sunrise I see, but the wonder of wonders that thrills my soul is the wonder that God loves me. Thanks again, Vern. How did you know I was going to quote that? That's gratitude. <clears throat> Excuse me. I believe that where there is no gratitude, there is no wonder. And where there is no wonder, there is no worship. Where there is no gratitude, there is no wonder. And where there is no wonder, 
there is no no worship. G.K. Chesterton once said that to be thankful is the highest form of thought. And thanklessness, then, must be the lowest form. Are you thankful this morning? Do you want to worship? If you want to, you will. In spite of the praise band being too loud, we didn't have one today, the pianist being too slow or too fast, whatever, the air conditioner being set too cold or not cold enough, etc., etc. If I want to worship, I will. And that's the kind of worship that pleases God. God doesn't need our worship, by the way. God doesn't need anything, and yet he wants us to worship him, and it pleases him when we do. Another little story here. A guest speaker was attending a secular university forum one time. He was a Christian speaker at a secular university. He was a little nervous because of the questions that that would be hurled at him and the disdain and the unbelief that's so prevalent on our secular university campuses. And sure enough, one of the young men gets up and he asks him a question. Isn't it arrogant of God to want our worship? And the speaker told him this story. I'll share it with you. Perhaps you're familiar with the story of the gentleman waiting to board a plane at an airport. While he waits, he decides to get a bag of small donuts and a coffee. After making the purchase, he discovers one problem. There are no open tables at the coffee shop. He finally manages to find an empty seat at a table at which just one other man is sitting. The man sits down at this table and begins to peel the lid off his coffee cup. He takes a sip, he puts his hand into the bag of donuts and takes out one donut and starts eating. Then something absolutely absurd happens. The man sitting across from him puts his hand into the same bag of donuts. He smiles, takes out a donut and starts eating. The first man is taken off guard. He does not know what to do. This is the first case of donut theft he can think of. He then makes a point by giving the other man a look that could kill. Then he takes a donut from his bag of donuts and eats his donut. But before he has time to finish eating his donut, the other man once again dips into the first man's bag of donuts. The donut theft victim now is baffled. He is outraged. He is envisioning years of professional psychiatric care. He, he thinks, what, in the what is the world coming to? We are now stealing donuts from each other. Surely this should be the end of the story, right? Well, the donut thief gathers his own belongings as he needs to catch a flight. He smiles politely at the burgled victim gets up and then once again dips into the bag. There is only one donut left. He breaks the donut in half and leaves half in the bag and then leaves, but not without another seething look from the donut burgled victim. The donut victim is, of course, in shock, but he has his own flight to catch. Excuse me. He bends down to get his suitcase, and when he does, he notices that his own bag of donuts is on top of his luggage. The apparent victim was complaining that the other man was stealing his donuts when in fact the other man was sharing his donuts. The point of the story is this, God owns all the donuts. 
This story tells us something of true Christian worship. If there is an issue of arrogance involved in worship, it is found in our hearts, not God's. We arrogantly think that God is taking something that is ours, when in reality we are giving something back to him that is rightfully his. Once we realize this, the only logical response is to worship. John 4.23, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Let me tell you a, a personal story. You might want to get your Kleenex out. <clears throat> a few months ago, it was my birthday, I guess a milestone birthday, at least my family thought so. That was back in June. And our family put on a big birthday party for me. We were 25 of us there. Beautiful surroundings, delicious barbecue supper, lots of visiting and laughing, very nice birthday gift, etc., etc. But the most special thing that happened to me that day was when my eight-year-old granddaughter came to me and brought me a card that she had written. Happy birthday, Grandpa. Hope you have a good day and a good birthday. May God bless you. Love, Hazel. Eight-year-old kid. But there's more. In the card, in the envelope, were a loony and a toonie. Three dollars. That was Hazel's gift to me, her grandpa. I learned later that her daddy had told her she didn't have to dip into her piggy bank to give money to grandpa. Grandpa had a lot more money than she did. The nice card would be enough. Grandpa would love it. And her reply, but I want to. But I want to. Can you imagine what that did for this grandpa's heart. At my first opportunity, I bought an ice cream cone with those three dollars. And Susie took a picture of me eating this, enjoying this ice cream cone. And she gave the picture to Hazel. And she was tickled. 
I had enjoyed an ice cream cone with the three dollars she gave me for my birthday. Are we here this morning worshiping God because we want to? Worship is response. We respond to God's love and to his mercy. I did a little research on how corporate worship, we'll, we'll go on a tangent a little bit here now. I did a little research on how corporate worship in the early church compared to what we still do today, and I was, I was quite surprised. Uh, I discovered that the elements of early Christian worship are very similar to what we do even today. We are modeling our worship services after what the people of the, of the scriptures, uh, of biblical times did as well. Prayer, singing, I'd like to draw your attention to our call to worship, singing. It says, through psalms, hymns, and songs. They had three kinds of songs. We basically have two kinds. We, we got to introduce something else yet, don't we, to be, to be on track here? Psalms, hymns, and songs. Singing to God with gratitude in your heart. So singing... What else could we introduce? Instruments, harp, lyre, trumpets, cymbals, etc. They're all listed in scripture. I get the feeling reading some of these passages that there might have been a fairly high decibel level in the early worship, worship services. Now I'm really treading on dangerous ground. I know that. So prayer, singing and instruments, then also teaching, preaching, collection of offerings, public reading of God's word. Let's take a closer look at these elements of worship. Prayer, worship through prayer. True prayer is worship, not just a recitation of a wish list. If we note the gospel accounts of when our Lord prayed, we see that praying was a way of life for him. The earliest, earliest believers prayed, both privately and publicly. Then singing and instruments. The early Christians worshipped God through music and song. They had much to sing about. Psalm 66, 4, all the earth shall worship Worship you and sing praises to you. They shall sing praises to your name. So even today we worship God through music and song that ascribes worth to God. And one lady told me some time ago that sometimes the prelude music, and take encouragement, you that play the organ and the piano, she says sometimes the prelude music from her was the best part of the service. Sorry, Danny. <laughs> I didn't say that. <clears throat> Psalm 33, verse 1 and 3. Sing for joy in, in the Lord, O your righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with a lyre. Sing praises to him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Not just old songs. Nothing wrong with having a new song once in a while. My grandson is in Australian Bible school learning how to write new songs. Someday we may sing his up here. Who knows? Sing a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. Then teaching and preaching. We look at the great sermons of Peter and Paul and at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, for instance, and we find them highly instructional in character. Their preaching was filled with explanation, exhortation, and a call to action. If preaching and teaching is to be worship, it must please God. It's not to be a collection of men's ideas and ideals and basically for entertainment. Preaching that does not ascribe worth to God is not worship. And fourthly, collection of offerings. We don't like to talk about money. 
but a significant part of Christian worship involves giving for the work of the Lord and the furtherance of the gospel. The Old Testament frequently refers to worshiping with tithes and offerings. God's words instructs us to use our money for God-honoring purposes. 2 Corinthians 9-7 tells us that God loves a cheerful giver, and I believe it's equally true that a cheerful giver loves God. And then fifthly, public reading of God's word. This, I believe, should always be a central feature of any worship service. Luke 4, Jesus came to the synagogue on the Sabbath and read from the scriptures. Paul came to Antioch on his first missionary journey and went to the synagogue on the Sabbath and read from the law and the prophets. Worshiping the Lord meaningfully should always include the reading of his word. And if so, having said that, uh, why don't we read some more? Psalm 100. Turn in your Bibles, if you have your Bibles with you, to Psalm 100. It's a very short psalm. You can turn to that. I'll just read it there. It's only five short verses. Psalm 100, shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Not whisper, by the way. What would that sound like? Whisper joyfully to the Lord all the earth. No, shout joyfully to the, to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Notice the emphasis on joy. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. This is worship. And verse 5, this is why. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. His faithfulness to all generations. Woodrow Kroll adds another, another dimension, another element of worship, and that is worship through community. Gathering together as we have this morning as the family of God. It's an act of worship and it's, an, it's a corporate testimony to the world as we gather together. We're all part of each other. So we being many, as the scripture says, are one body in Christ, Paul writes. Paul Weber in his book, Worship is a Verb, comments that we identify with the body of Christ as we come to church and greet one another with a friendly smile and a handshake, or maybe a hug. In the early church, Paul encouraged people to greet one another with a holy kiss. Romans chapter 16, now where's the antibacterial, right? There's one more thing I discovered as I was researching this topic of worship, Nehemiah 9, 3. Are you ready for this one? While they, God's people, stood in their place, this is Nehemiah, they read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, are you ready, for a fourth of the day. And it gets better. And for another fourth, they confessed and worshipped the Lord. So that's half a day now. They went way past 12 o'clock, by the way. Now contrast this with uh, an article entitled Drive-Through Worship. That's more like today's type of worship, right? Drive-through worship? You ever heard of that? I don't know if it really works that way or if there is such a thing. But it, it would go something like this. May I take your order, please? Yeah, I'll have an order of three hymns, two choruses sung with meaning, one prayer, 
and three points in a 20-minute sermon, and hold the pastoral ramblings, please. All right, thank you. Drive up to the next window and deposit your tithe. That's fast food worship. In Johann Sebastian Bach's day, I think he was born in the 1600s, I believe, church services lasted up to four hours, and congregations sometimes would sing as many as 40 stanzas of one hymn. That's what the research told me. It's not my, I didn't make that up. Worshiping the Lord is something we must do with our lives as well as our lips. So we need to ask, have I, have we presented ourselves and all that we are and have to God as a living sacrifice? And as a result, is my life, is your life a life of worship? We were created to worship and worship we will. The question is, whom do we worship or what do we worship? Only God is worthy of our worship, and our worship is right only when we are right with God. Genuine worship, public or private, involves surrender of oneself to God. What I am, what I say, probably and also think, and what I do, all of that, surrender to God is worship. That being the case, our worship can't be confined to the four walls of a church, to times and places. It becomes the spirit of our lives. God reveals himself to us wherever we may be. Elizabeth Barrett Browning put it like this, Earth's crammed with heaven, and every common bush a fire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries. Rabbi Zacharias writes that he often wishes he could sing with a great voice that would resonate around the world, and the song he would sing is this one, Fairest Lord Jesus, ruler of all nature, O thou of God and man the Son, thee will I cherish, thee will I honor, thou my soul's glory, joy and crown. David in Psalm 139 thinks about God being all-seeing. <clears throat> Excuse me. God being all-seeing and all-knowing and all-powerful and everywhere present. And he's amazed, as he states in verse 6 of that psalm, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. He couldn't grasp it. He couldn't get his head around that. It was beyond his comprehension. Little children live in a world of wonder and amazement. But as we grow older, we begin to think that we can explain everything, and we lose our sense of wonder. But wonder and worship go together, and wonder and worship put daily life into perspective. The wonder of God is one of the main themes of this psalm, the wonder of God's knowledge, the wonder of God's presence, the wonder of God's power. It's something we can't explain. And a great Bible teacher once said, when all my attempts at explaining God fail, I worship. We wouldn't worship a God we can fully explain. And this is the God who cares about you and cares about me. We are always in his thoughts. He is the one who lifts my sights and my heart to the greatest wonder of all, himself.
The songs of Revelation invite us to worship now and forever. Revelation 4.8, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. Revelation 5, 9, and 10, from our scripture reading this morning, the creatures around the throne then sing of the Lord who redeemed the world by, by his blood. Their hymn is called a new song, verse 9. As soon as they conclude, myriads of angels lift their voices in praise, verse 12. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And we see how the circle of praise grows grows wider until every creature worships him. Let's join the chorus of heavenly angels who sing in worship to the Lord. Let's add our voices to theirs as we ascribe worth to the only one who is truly worthy. Heaven is a place of worship. Let's get ready to join in. I can't imagine what that's going to be like, what that scene's going to be like. There's a song I can only imagine. I'll read a bit of that for you now. I want that song, by the way, if you're responsible of planning my funeral. I want that song sung at my funeral. Surrounded by your glory. What will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. Let's pray. Bow with me. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity this morning to worship you as a body of believers. Help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Forgive us where we sometimes just go through the motions. Forgive us for worshiping what we have no business worshiping. You alone are worthy of our worship, and so we pray, Father, help us to, as a community and individually, to worship you and you alone. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>